0: In this episode of Tim Talk, a discussion with Andrew Dees about promoting the desire for action to change.
1: Thank you for joining us for Tim Talk. I'm Tim Dentry, President and CEO of Northern Light Health. Through this podcast, we hope to break down barriers, embrace diversity, and focus on issues of social and medical justice. We want to find meaningful solutions by tapping into the many voices of diversity that we have across our healthcare system. I'm joined now by Andrew Deese, the new Director of Provider Network Management at Beacon Health.
0: Thank you for joining me here today. Thanks for having me, Tim. I'm glad to be here and to be with Northern Light Health. Terrific. So happy to have you here today.
1: So, you know, Andrew, when we first met and talked, you described your youth growing up in a family and community that valued diversity and taught how to evaluate others based on the quality of the person. You called it the humanity perspective. I really resonate with that perspective and love how you mentioned sometimes there are those who have a less than engaged heart. I'm convinced that we will truly be on a path of oneness when two colleagues connect in positive ways at the heart when maybe they otherwise would be on different islands what would you like to say to the persons who do not feel they need to change anything about the way they interact with others who they perceive as being different?
0: That's a great question, Tim. I think responding to a person with these perceptions has to come from a place of caring. Understanding drivers of one's perceptions can lead you to that person's place of understanding and and the beliefs and values he or she holds. Until you understand the driver's perceptions and how that informs uh, their projections onto oneself and or others, you cannot really begin the process of engaging change. I think back to the pro model for change, um, which starts with awareness of the need to change uh, and then how you can support that desire. That only comes through true understanding, understanding what beliefs, what values, what life experiences have created perceptions uh, of self and how one sees themselves in uh, society around it, whether that be situationally or their cemented self-identity. So until you get that knowledge, you can't, you can't help them know that they, there is a need to change. I think once you understand that, you can start to educate, create awareness, and then ultimately give that person the ability to see and hopefully have a desire for embracing change. And I think what we've seen in the world today really shows how not only do we reinforce our own changes, but society is ready and willing to embrace an individual that that acknowledges and acts in that fashion.
1: Thank you, Andrew. That's a terrific answer. And, you know, I love the way that you were talking about gaining, trying to gain an understanding of uh, the other individuals, drivers, life experiences, perceptions, et cetera. Um, Because I think that's really a component that if we had more of in the world, it would be less polarized approach or less. I'm right, you're wrong, et cetera. But let's start with, I'm trying to understand where you're coming from. Medical justice issues have been around for a long time, but not really studies other than uh, I've experienced anyway in academic institutions and not really acted upon comprehensively anywhere that I know of. We have an opportunity here to change that, but we need to be data-driven first. Your career experience will truly enrich our approach to understanding medical access and treatment disparities Would you please share your thoughts and advice on medical justice and how we can all make a difference?
0: Well, I think we can start leading where we are, right? A good friend of mine, Dr. Selwyn Vickers, uh, once challenged all of us in the healthcare organization to be a leader where you are. The values that embody the organization are ultimately translated to the individual providing service and caring. So leading where you are allows you to start on this journey of medical justice. At the root of medical justice is the principle of respect. You have to have respect for others. The ethical code that we have all been tasked with upholding in our daily interactions in healthcare they require this. When we respect patients and their rights, we seek to do the most good for those patients. We do no harm. We're on the right track as individuals to be fair and equal in the delivery of the medical services that we provide. But data often shows us where our efforts have failed. We may do our part individually, but as an organization, uh, we have the ability to look at outcomes, to make informed decisions, and drive intentional change in the areas that we see less than equitable deliveries. I think that's what I think is the core value and the fundamental element to promoting a just medical environment.
1: Thank you, that's terrific, I love that. May I use that line, be a leader where you are? I think that's really terrific because that's kind of the the message I'm trying to get through to people is that you can make a difference here every day. And you know it does start with the value of respect. And that's one reason why I'm totally dedicated to making sure that we have this culture of caring that we are talking about that is driven by respect. And that's why this is only my third month on the job as CEO. That's why I'm making this one of my first priorities. So thank you for that. Thank you very much for your ideas. Now I want to take the opportunity to hear what's foremost on your mind and what
0: you would like to ask me. Thank you, Tim. Um, As I thought through a lot of these questions, uh, I'd like to start my first question around justice. Uh, We've just been talking about medical justice, and I'd like to start with a quote from Benjamin Franklin. Um, The context is really, how do we promote a desire for action in the pursuit of change? So Benjamin Franklin says, justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. When I think about the desire necessary to promote medical justice, social justice, and those models of justice that we desire here at Northern Light, I think of two imperatives. One is replacing a mentality of apathy with one of empathy and exposure to the reality of those living in poverty versus privilege. So in graduate school, I had the opportunity to do a multidisciplinary poverty simulation that was an exercise with the schools of medicine and all the allied health professions. The goal was to understand the sacrifices of a family's essential needs in order to cover the basic costs Of things we prescribe in the healthcare industry every day. This was a sobering experience. So, my first question is What actions can Northern Light Health take to promote a desire for justice for our patients, providers, and the communities we serve? Yeah, thanks. That's a great question. And first, let me start with saying
1: my hope is that, you know, in six months and a year from now, when we you know, continue to, to see each other. You'll ask me that question again, and I'll have an even deeper and richer answer for you. But let me just put it this way. You know, frankly, what we are doing right now is our the best action that we can put toward patients, providers, and, and communities' justice and receiving justice in the way we care, the way we treat and, and work with everyone. Number one is engaging in multiple ways. You know, it's, I, I know when um, I began this process and I immerse, I'll call it an immersion, when I immersed myself into this, mm-hmm. um, I, I had received a uh, communication that went from another health system in, in New England, just to their physicians. And it was written by a group of physicians saying, we're mad and we're going to speak up. And the leadership felt that that was such an impressive message that they wanted to to share with all the the people on the medical staff not necessarily all the all the employees and someone said you know what tim you you might want to do that as well so again i was in by then what Month and a half into on the job, something like that. Frankly, so I thought, yeah, okay, that's a good idea. I'll I'll write something, and I'll include it in my Friday reflection because I had started to author those every week. And I thought, okay, I'll I'll take a a stand on um, this is what we stand for, and we stand for respect and treating each other as brothers and sisters, and and that was. That was really the message. And and I will admit that part of it was I wanted to be the first health system in the state of Maine to go on record that that's what we stood for. So, and I'm, I'm sharing that mainly because now I see with this immersion process that there's so much more to it than that and that I even had a relatively shallow definition of what I would do as a leader for this. Because then I would get... Uh, you know tons of feedback I probably had 200 or so email responses to that and I I believe 90% of the responses were thank you for bringing this up this is an important issue Um, we've never really talked about that and so I'm glad we're going to talk about that and do something try to do something about it try to figure out what that is Um, but there was also you know 10% that was um, sort of polarized you know, some that said, well, all lives matter, or it's not a problem here, or that kind of thing, or why make it a problem in the middle of a pandemic and, a, and financial chaos in the organ?" now you're going to take that on too. But the other one was, yeah, okay, Tim, that's, you know, you're saying what you stand for. You haven't said a word about what you stand against. And so the more I talk with people, like we had a, a Zoom room today. And that's the second of three that we have just in over the span of about five days, and a lot of uh, staff have signed up for that, and they're you know sharing their experiences, and you know that's really what I hear more and more in a more just grassroots kind of way is. People want to be able to say, you know what, there's there's two ways that people express either their micro insensitivities or macro insensitivities or what have you, or other other definitions that you would use. One is just lack of knowledge, lack of understanding, lack of training, lack of empathy, you know, from mm-hmm. someone else saying, Let's talk about this more. So it's it's it comes from that. And that can be dealt with, that can be trained and reinforced and, you know, behavioral kinds of of things, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but the other one is maybe they just come from a bad place in their heart. They just are that way. And we can't let that go. We need to do something about that. So we are crafting examples where we are going to do things about, for example, if I've heard it several times, I, never, I didn't realize it existed here, but where staff are, are hearing, or they're telling us me stories. These are both people of color and, and white people saying, um, you know, sometimes you know, patients or families say, mm, I'd like another nurse or I'd like another doctor. And it's strictly because they don't like the color of their skin. Yeah. And we need to be able to, and I love this one example. A person said, um, you know, and the manager might think that they are overprotecting us. They think they're being kind by saying, well, let's go ahead and I'll, I'll go ahead and do that. And, you know, but it's not, it's, it's not overprotective. It's actually disrespectful to, to that professional so anyway we're finding ways and finding actions and finding solutions based on multiple ways in which we're reaching out to people and and talking with them and also it's it's really on the lines of showing that this is not going to go away i i am learning as a new ceo of a system the kind of influence you can have on the culture of the organization and I am persistent, if nothing else. And this will stay. This will continue to be reinforced. We're going to continue to find ways to engage, new ways to engage. That's why I preface this with saying, I hope you'll ask me this question again, and I'll give you even a you know, richer answer in the future as well. You know, To find actions and solutions that really address that and keep this dialogue going so people realize oh, you know, we're still talking about this. And and my hope is that everyone will then be able to have those those magical opportunities where it's any colleague talking to any other colleague at, you know, three o'clock in the morning on the, in the ICU, you know, at, at AR Gold or what have you. And there's a golden moment where people
0: connect and they're not on different islands. Yeah, well, I think that, Uh, I want to say thank you, one, for embracing and empowering everyone at Northern Light uh, to be able to start having courageous conversations. Um, I think it resonates throughout every part of the organization that I've been a part of, and I think you have to start somewhere. We know there's positive intent with where we want to go, and it's really encouraging for me to see our leader set an example and start to model things that are different but that are really essential in helping us move forward to gain understanding, to learn, and to to lead in an issue that is gonna take all of us leading uh, on. So thank you. Uh, My next question, I'm a data person and I'm encouraged uh, by how data-driven and evidence-based medicine standards tells us about meeting the needs of our communities. I think about the work of Don Berwick and the Institute for Healthcare Improvement and early studies of Jack Winberg and the Dartmouth Atlas for Healthcare and how they've described the diverse areas of care and paved the way for modern quality pursuits like population health management and high reliability healthcare. So my next question is, how is Northern Light Health's population health strategy developing knowledge and capabilities to ensure the best outcomes and the best care while meeting the needs of our diverse populations where they live. Thank you. Uh, great question. And there there you know key words that,
1: that jump out before I explain this are strategy because it is a population health strategy. Developing knowledge it has to uh, has to be a precursor and really making sure we are meeting the needs of, of diverse populations. So first Um, advancing electronic health record you know only really in the past year have we advanced it to the point where um, our clinical electronic health record it was eight or nine totally different platforms and a lot of them didn't connect and didn't communicate and that kind of thing and now um, we're about 80 percent to one unified electronic health record and this time next year inshallah which is a (laughs) arabic word but um we will be able to have one electronic health record so that's really really key to be able to uh, harvest data or really um, to have the kind of data elements from which you can ask questions and really learn along the way that's really important so right now for example in the electronic health record we have consistent screening protocols and that obviously then generates data because then you can say, okay, how well did we follow those screening protocols? What were the outcomes? And we, uh, with our, our ability to harvest data differently, um, we can include race and ethnicity and determine, you know, how not only were outcomes different, but was the treatment different? Were the screening protocols, et cetera, done differently? I had one physician again on the, the chat room that was saying, you know, look at the data that I have and I'm, I'm destroyed. You know, that I'm not having a greater influence, you know, yeah. on the health outcomes and on this and I'm not as consistent as I should be on screening. So that's really great because then it's not a corporate driven uh, kind of thing. It's the providers really using it as they're face-to-face with their colleagues and with their patients and families. And that's how you create change. So advanced electronic health record. Second, we're leaps and bounds ahead of the methodology by which we would approach learning about the social determinants of health, if you will, um, that are a critical part of population health strategy. And that is something called the community health needs assessment. Well, that's a, a process that's mandated, I believe, by CMS, by, the, by, the, by Medicare and Medicaid Services. And it's a standard form that's filled out. And we all do it. And we put our, our best into it in a positive way. And each hospital develops their own community health needs assessment. And there are some things that come out of that. But it isn't really as data-driven as one might think. It's kind of like, you know, what are your challenges? Well, food insecurity. Okay, well what does that mean in your particular communities? What are the health outcomes that happen as a result of food insecurity and does it differ by by race, ethnicity? etc. So that uh, that I think is uh, the fact that we're going to have electronic health record is going to be far better than that kind of subjective once a year and put it away on the shelf kind of thing. And that brings up my third point on to your question. And that is, it's not only a culture of caring, you know, if you work backstream, if you will, it's a culture of caring for one another. Absolutely. And that's how you and I started this conversation and that is the the cultural aspects i'm trying to influence with this immersion with this initiative culture of caring for one another obviously comes from a culture of caring and that is a critical part of culture of quality so i want to make sure that northern light which has very good quality we can get be so much better And there are some areas where we we must get better, that we aren't as good. We have a new chief quality officer that's going to be joining us at the end of this month. And um, I've already told her that um, very much a priority is culture of quality, but also the uh, medical justice issues. So let's make sure that we're designing reports, designing systems, and designing performance improvement that will be able to address that.
0: Yeah, great, great points. I think about data and its ability to inform the provider. Uh, the heart of the provider is really if we could <laughs> if we could get an EMR that could extrapolate the heart of the provider, health equity, um, population health management would not be a problem. I think, uh, to your point, having a single source of truth and being able to leverage information that's coming from all of these different providers in near real time. Is going to give us insights that will allow us to provide the most impact to those disparate groups. Um, as you were saying, that I did a little study of some of our CHNAs and um, some of the population of Maine. And generally speaking, I'll just say, you know, 80% of Maine is white. Uh, and when you look at dispersing some 20% of other minorities across a very vast geography, uh, there are going to be localized differences that are going to take uh, the need to collect that data in, in, a, in a good way and from a central source. And so I'm really encouraged that we're going to have providers, uh, this new chief quality officer and, and all of the providers that she's going to be leading, uh, to look and share and find those things that we can do to maximize that quality uh, where we find need.
1: Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you so much. And that will wrap up this episode of Tim Talk. Andrew, thank you for joining me here to continue the conversation.
0: My pleasure, Tim. I'll hold you to that six months, by the way. Absolutely.
1: Every six months, if not more frequently. And thank you to you, our podcast listeners, as well. Until next time, I'm Tim Dentry, encouraging you to listen and act to promote our culture of caring, diversity, and inclusion.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Tim Talk. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to learn more about the subject, you can find additional information at northernlighthealth.org podcast. We welcome you to join us for a new episode of Tim Talk every two weeks.